Hello once again. This podcast is a follow-up to a podcast that I did with Creed Revere on February 8th. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I suggest that you do. Creed does some wonderful work uh, with estrangement to reconciliation. She works with adult children and adult parents who are suffering from estrangement. And she has success stories of reconciliations that have occurred from those estranged relationships. I will put some uh, connections in the show notes where you can reach Creed in the event that you could use her help in this area of your own life. This podcast is a little different because we talk about her own experience with trauma that carried her through most of her life as a young child into adulthood and the changes that she made that brought her to a place where she is now thriving and it is a joy to speak with her. So I hope you listen and enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hi Creed, welcome back. Hi Suzanne, thank you. I am am thrilled to be back again. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you. Um, it's been a while since we did our first podcast together and you've been doing some really wonderful things. And I just knew that we would have another wonderful conversation and I'm going to go in a very different direction this time. Um, I'm not going to touch so much on the work that you're doing, but I'm going to kind of dive deep. Um, at what brought you to the place where you decided to do this work, what compelled you, um, what you learned about yourself. And it all generated from when I listened to your birthday podcast on April 3rd. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it and I was taken back. It pulled at my heartstrings. And I thought, wow, no wonder she is doing such remarkable work. Um, And it's because of your own life's experience. And, you know, I think that is like the best way for us to connect to people is what we have learned through our own experiences. And For you to have learned such rich lessons, I mean, I don't know, you know, people are different. I don't (laughs) know if everyone comes out whole and healthy with these kinds of experiences. And you're fortunate that you did. And I'm sure it was through a lot of your own inner work and self-discovery and um, tears. Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> yes. So um, I'm going to start with a couple of um, your quotes. Okay. Um, Creed mentioned a couple of quotes on her birthday podcast. Um, where are they? I wrote them down. Hmm. Come on, you tell me something about to be loved. Oh, here they are. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Okay. The first quote is to dig deep, understand deep, and love deep. Mm. And I'm sure by the end of this conversation, we're all going to understand why, why that is one of your quotes. And then the other one, which is really telling is, um, Someone knowing they are loved and feeling they are loved are two different things. Yes. That's interesting. So we're going to talk about 
creeds repetitive patterns of experience throughout her life. And I'm using some of your words here. And Creed felt that these patterns, these patterns of experience only proved to her that she was unlovable and unworthy of love. Her first trauma occurred at the age of five and those traumas just continued throughout her life. And in her own words, and I want to say that all these shares are just to show how her life experiences molded, how she parented her own children and they're not for shock value, or as you said, to air your dirty laundry. Her losses followed her and brought her to a place where she can heal relationships, heal individual relationships and the world one heart at a time, one heart at a time. So I, I, I like to just lead the way. I like to start the conversation and you have a lot to say. Um, and we'll start with um, the story of as a young child and your parents' problems and how your father left. And yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, um, unlike, I mean, like many other people, um, I, my parents, I'm, I'm a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was five. <clears throat> and I was really, really, really close with my dad. Um, and then um, I was the firstborn child and my sister came along three and a half years later. Um, and so at the age of five and my sister was at the age of two, my parents divorced. Um, and when dad left the home, there was about six months or so there that we kept in touch and, you know, mm -hmm. I would see him and talk to him on the phone and things like that. But then, um, we relocated, um, my mom remarried about a year after the divorce and, um, moved us away from the, near where my father lived. And there were, there was a span of three years that I did not see or have any communication with my dad. And um, I never, I mean, I realized, you know, I knew that that impacted me somehow, but I didn't, I never realized the extent mm -hmm. that that impacted me until I got myself into therapy as an adult in my forties um, and, and realized that was in a, what I interpreted as, as a child, as an abandonment wound, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, here, my dad was in my day to day life for five years, and then he was gone. Mm -hmm. And as a, as young children will do, um, they typically turn whatever is happening in their world to mean that they have done something wrong or bad, mm -hmm. or they're not worthy of someone sticking around or lovable enough for someone mm -hmm. to stay to love them. Mm -hmm. And I learned in therapy that, that that was basically like my core wound. Um, and it followed me and has, it continues to follow me. I'm 53 years old now and it still affects mm -hmm. my life today. Um, I'm much better, better able to handle it and things today, but it ruled my life for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, in my relationships, it was, you know, I would self-sabotage because when people did love me and want to show that I was worthy of love and all of those things, I had this core wound that was like, but no, I'm not, I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm how, how could you love me? I mean, and I know that this sounds so bizarre to most no. people, you know, no. I, I mean, it just, it really, something people are like, but that makes no sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. But when your, your operating system is operating from the place of a injured five-year-old, emotionally injured five-year-old, 
that is what's running your show as an adult. Mm -hmm. And that played out through my entire life, this abandonment wound. And not only did that play out, it was a pattern that I repeated over and over and over and over again, or showed up in my life over and over and over again. So people that I would care about and love for a host of reasons, you know, left my life. And whether that was, you know, with any sort of ill intent or not, the fact that they left my life, I interpreted that as I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy enough for them to stick around. And, um, and it just, it destroyed so, so much in my life that I had to pick up and rebuild from, and then it would happen again. And then I had to pick up and rebuild from, and the last two big events in my life that that showed up for was the ending of a 10 year relationship. And when that, when that partner left, that just took this scab of abandon the abandonment wound and just ripped it right off. Um, and I had to, you know, deal with that again. And then six years later, my children estranged from me. Mm -hmm. So there was that perceived abandonment again, um, that I was left and not worthy of being loved and, and valued and cared for as a, you know, as a mother. Um, and so it just, it's just, been this repeating, like I said, this repeating cycle in my life. Um, and I finally, with the estrangement, that was like the final time that I was just like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Something yeah, you have to get sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, right? Yes. And yeah. um I think all of our inner child follows us and yes. the voice, the things mm-hmm. that that young child speaks of just that inner conversation follows us throughout life and that is a big wound because that those years are probably the most important years in the development of a child yes yeah and what was your father's language to you when he left did he hold you and assure you and or was it abrupt and no you know and I don't I don't have memories of that and it's not something um you know I recently asked my mom oh gosh probably a couple years ago now um you know why I didn't have contact with my dad um I had asked her you know why didn't you try to facilitate phone calls or what have you I mean I was still you know very young and um and she said something to me that just, just was like a massive smack in the face of, mm. oh my gosh, this explains so much about why my dad wasn't around for so many years. And she said during that, you know, six months to a year after they, they divorced and he would, you know, he did call um, and, and, and try to see us. He was, um, my mom said he was always so emotional. Whenever he would call, he would be crying and he was upset that he wasn't, you know, you know, he wanted his marriage back together and he wanted his children back in his life and all of those things. And she said, and I just could not have it. I could not have him be so upset and talking to you girls. I just could not do that. And I thought, oh my God, no wonder he walked away. His pain, his emotional pain was so great that every time he reached out to try to connect, Mm. he was met with this force of, you can't cry, you can't show emotion when you're talking to your children. And while I recognize as an adult, we want to protect our children. And my mom was doing what she thought was best at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. But it just, it, it helped me to see that he didn't just walk away. He didn't just, I don't care. And I'm out of here. Right. He was hurting. And, and so I don't have, um, he and I, my dad is still living, um, and we're still very much in contact, but, um, he and I have never had that conversation. We've never talked about when he left, 
um, I have an idea that it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, he packed a suitcase and came out and said goodbye and all of, I think it was a probably a much more abrupt leaving mm-hmm. um, in situation. Um, and it was, it was, I do recall many arguments and things that my parents had after the, you know, the separation and, and things like that. Um, and so, you know, that being said, he didn't, to my knowledge, I don't ever recall ever having mm-hmm. that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to why you haven't had that conversation, or do you think that you will at some point have the conversation? The timing just isn't right that you want that conversation. I think I would like to have that conversation with him. I do know that it, it is a, it is a still for him. It's a very profound hurt um, in his life. And, and more often than not, dad will try to change the topic or, you know, talk about something else. Yeah. Anytime I bring up anything along those lines, when, when we were really little, um, he just, it just is a really taxing emotional thing for him to go through. Yeah. So I mean, he's maybe one day we'll get himself. to have a conversation. Yeah. He's, he's protecting himself. Yeah. It's understandable, but you know, I think it would probably help in, in your healing to have the conversation, but mm-hmm. it it's not something you can force, obviously. You know, no. And, because- you know, I think that, I think on some level too, for him, even though it wasn't his choice to, to have the marriage end and, and end up where it ended up, I think for him, there's a level of shame for him. And, and I think that that is impeding part of our ability to have a conversation Mm -hmm. around that for him. And I understand that I, you know, I don't, I don't hold anything, any ill will, um, you know, towards my dad or, or my mom. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I did for years. I had all sorts of issues with my parents for, for years when I was a young adult, but at the place that I'm at in my life now, and having done the inner work that I've done, I've learned that, you know, they did the best they knew how to do at the time. And there was, there was no ill intent at all mm-hmm. in any of their actions or decisions yeah. um, regarding me. Yeah. They don't wake up at the beginning of the day and say, I think today I'm going to do all I can to harm my child. No, you know? not at all. Not at all. No. And, and we do learn as we grow and become adults and go through our own experiences and our own inner work, as you said, um, there's a softening and, and a, yes. more of an understanding. And we see our own, as parents, our own um, weaknesses, if you want to say, mm-hmm. and our own falling short. And, you know, it just um, casts a, a different light yeah. on, on our childhood with right. our parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked about Mimi and you said something interesting about stories lessening judgments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I, I believe when we can share our stories, we bring the human side to life. And I find very, very few times in life that I've shared a story or I've heard a story and someone hasn't said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And even in their tone, their, their tone of voice, when they say that softens, right? When, when we share our stories and we, when I say share our stories now, I'm also talking about when we can be vulnerable enough mm-hmm to share the truth of our stories. That's when the human side comes out and, and it's just next to impossible for someone to look at that, to hear that and still point the judging finger, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think when we, that's part of my work in my, when I work with estranged families, right? Is helping each other to understand each other's stories and it takes, it's, it's a craft to be able to share your story in a way 
that isn't pointing the finger at someone else, right? Well, I was hurt and I became an alcoholic because you did such, no, no, let's not go there, right? Mm -hmm. But let's share Mm -hmm. our story from our perspective on how Mm -hmm. it affected us in our own life. And then that brings people closer to us. And when people can hear your experiences, what you went through, why you did the things you did, why you didn't do the things you didn't do, it generally softens them because they, they, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea. There was this whole other side of you. I had no idea. And, you know, think about it with parents and children. I mean, children grow up, right? And they hear some of our stories as, as they're growing up, you know, from a grandparent might share a story about the, you know, when your mom was young, she did this, that, and the other thing, those kinds <laughs> yeah. of things, right? But they don't really know what a parent went through. You know, like I have a daughter now who is fine. You know, she has a young, she has a daughter that's a year old and she's finding out how difficult it is to hold down a full-time job, to have an infant, you know, a toddler now. And, you know, all of these things. And I know that in her mind, at times, have had, it's crossed her mind. Oh, my heavens, my mom did this by herself. She's married. She has, a, she has a, a husband that, you know, helps and all of this. And I know that at times she's had to have thought, my mom did this with two kids by herself. She didn't have anybody else, right? And what that must have been like for mom. I find that oftentimes we, we can we think about things and we don't necessarily tell, uh, tell the other person we're thinking about them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So especially our children, you know, I think that they yeah. do think about us and, and things like that. And they may just may not necessarily say it, but sharing our stories makes us human instead of this abstract person over here mm-hmm. who just has this, you know, this name and this title that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. When we hear their story, we hear their experiences, we hear their pain, we hear their losses, we hear their wins, we hear their joys. We learn so much more about the human that's standing in front of us and not just the name and the title. And there are two things that came up for me when you were just talking. Vulnerability, Mm -hmm. how hard that is. Mm And understanding the feeling behind the story. Um, right. Talking about now your children are growing with children of their own. And now they can relate to, um, oh, my parent had a couple of kids and they got tired, you know, the whole thing. But the deeper understanding is the feeling behind what their parent went through. Right. You know, it can be very, it can be very lonely and upsetting. And, you know, you don't have a manual, you don't have a roadmap. And um, yeah, so those two pieces, just Mm -hmm. the vulnerability part of it. And it takes a lot to get to that place where you can be vulnerable, you know, and you need safe relationships in order to do that and in order to have a safe relationship it it has to be cultivated it has to be practiced it has to be you know you have to have two parties that are willing to be vulnerable right and that that vulnerability piece comes back full circle right that's vulnerable to have a safe relationship to have a safe safe relationship you have to be allowed to have be vulnerable yeah i know as i was saying it i had mm -hmm. that picture of that that circle yeah yeah and that's you know i didn't my vulnerability i mean so for when my girls were young i was a police officer yeah and so and a 911 operator and, and I dealt with emergency services. And for many, many, many years, I was not a vulnerable person. I did not let my vulnerability show because in the careers that I had, I had to be with it. I had to shove the emotions aside. I had to be focused on the here and now, get the job done, make sure everybody's safe take care of everyone, 
all of those things. Everything and was black and white. Very and black and white. Concrete answers. Yes. Letter of the law. Yes, exactly. And so I didn't, I did not venture into vulnerability very much, even with my, my partner at the time. I mean, the partner of 10 years that I had, I was not vulnerable in that relationship. And I, and I believe I've not ever been able to have a conversation <laughs> around that, but I believe that that was, that played a part in the reason why my partner had affairs and I mean, not, I'm not excusing the affair, but I wasn't emotionally vulnerable with, with that partner to encourage staying and working things out. Right. Um, And so it took me having these abandonments again and again for me to get to that place where I was like, okay, (laughs) what I've been doing is, isn't working. It, it just isn't working. I've been doing what I've been doing over and over and over and over the insanity. in all sorts of different relationships, <laughs> all different times of my life, but it's been the same spin over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And this isn't working. It's mm-hmm. not working. Mm-hmm. I'm not having the types of relationships I want. I'm not having the joy and the fulfillment in life. And so when I got into therapy is what it's how I experienced my first time being able to be vulnerable with someone because I was in the safety, that safe container mm-hmm. of therapy, the room of the therapy room to be able to just be completely and totally vulnerable. And now that took time. I mean, I didn't walk in on my first session and just, you know, no, I know give everything there was to give, but that developed over time. And it was because of that, that is where I learned how to be vulnerable and then could take that out into the world and be vulnerable in other relationships that maybe weren't, I didn't feel necessarily they were completely and totally safe, you know, but, but, but that was because of what you were feeling inside. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, was it, because of the estrangement that you had with your children, was that, was that the icing on the cake that got you to the place where you said, I need to do something because whatever I've been doing isn't working? I mean, was you know, that kind of like the wake up call for you? It, it was, but I, there, was, there was a precursor to that. Um, I had been in, a, in another relationship um, for about a year and a half, and we ended up in the therapist office in couples counseling. And I remember, I remember this day and I think I'll always, it'll just be forever etched on my, in my mind. Um, I remember walking in and sitting on the sofa, the three of us, myself, my partner and the therapist. And I remember sitting on the sofa saying, if I stay in this relationship one more second, my very soul is going to die. Mm -hmm. And I meant every word of that. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was at the end of the line, like the end of the line for life. I, something had to give and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know how to, how to do anything any different. All I knew was what, what is happening right now is no longer working. And it, has to change. There, it, there are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And I knew that I couldn't change my partner. Yeah. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I didn't want the relationship to end. But I knew that staying, and I knew that, I mean, I knew that my partner was not going to be able to change. I mean, and that was just very clear. So the only person I could change was myself. So mm-hmm. I had to extricate myself from that relationship. And it was super, super, super painful. And then it was within six months of that, that my estrangement occurred. Interesting. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was, I stayed in therapy after the relationship ended. Um, I stayed in therapy and was, you know, sorting through, I had this stressful job and now this relationship was ending and I was just this emotional mess. I mean, mess. I couldn't keep it together. 
I was crying all the time. I mean, it was just, it was just awful. Mm -hmm. Um, and when the estrangement occurred, you know, I went through the grieving process because there is this, there is a grieving process that happens with estrangement. And I went through that grieving process with all the emotions, the pleading, the begging, the bargaining, the anger, the, yeah, all of that. And then within, within about six months, four to six months after the estrangement initially occurred, I just was like, I cannot live my life like this anymore. I just, mm. I mean, it was just, everything had compounded and I was just this walking well, bag of tears. <laughs> and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's because also you you go through all these things and you you lose yourself. You lose your sense yes. of self. Yes. You know, you've worked so hard all these years to protect yourself somehow. And then, you know, these, <laughs> you've heard the saying, if it, if, um, you know, these things that persist, that if you, well, you might not recognize that they're persisting, but they come up in different ways in your life. And if those things that persist aren't dealt with, they're going to just keep coming up and keep coming up. And you finally get to this breaking point, as you've expressed. Yep. And it was just, you just knew, I just can't do this anymore. You, you didn't have a reason. You couldn't reason it. It, it, it's not no. a reasonable thing. It's just, you nope. know, that if I'm going to survive the rest of this life, I need something different. And now I have, I'm, I have a question about the estrangement from your daughters. And I'm sure that didn't happen just all of a sudden one day. You, there must have, well, obviously there must have been, I shouldn't say obviously, but there must have been things along the way in all those years where that estrangement maybe was kind of happening a little bit at a time Mm -hmm. um maybe it was because you were in a place of protecting yourself so there was some disconnect you know and maybe your daughters felt that disconnect and they didn't know how to navigate that Mm -hmm. yeah estrangement does not happen and this is what i tell um mothers when I work with estranged moms because every estranged mom says this came out of the blue this happened overnight we were fine one day and the next day we weren't and then when I talk with estranged adult children they're like no 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 Mm. I've tried for years to talk to my parent about this for years And I just finally got to a place where I could not tolerate it anymore. So kind of like my moment in the therapy office of saying my very soul is going to die. That was like the crescendo moment, right? Of this is it. But prior to that, it had been building and building and building. Mm -hmm. building. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just come out of the blue. And maybe your children had that crescendo moment too. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was with them. So they had been trying to tell me for years. Really, you know, and, and what, yeah, because we, we finally were able to have that conversation last December. So for five years post estrangement, you know, or post reconciliation, we were, we talked about why the estrangement occurred. And that's when I was able to get information about it. And Mm. it turned out that it was really wasn't what I thought it was about. Um, and, And that was really enlightening for me. Um, because all the things I had imagined were really not, Mm. they just weren't the case. Mm. Um, And so having that conversation with them, I learned that, yes, you know, and and I was given, they gave me very specific examples. Remember when we had this conversation about such and such, and you said such and such, and I said, yeah, I remember that conversation. And they're like, tried to get your attention then, and you just were refusing to listen. You are refusing to listen to how much you hurt me. And that's what this mm. all boils down to, right? I think in any relationship is that it's boiling down. It's not so much, you know, it's kind of like the whole, it's, the, it's not really the, about the dirty socks that are on, on the floor, right? It's really about how I feel when you don't help me 
pick up the house and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's not about dirty socks with them. It wasn't about me not doing something or me not providing them with something or not taking them to some certain place. It was about how I made them feel. Mm. And this is the work that I do with parents is helping them to get, because I hear that often. We gave them the best education. We, yeah. gave, we took them on trips. We do we that. Them, we, we bought all the, the best clothes. You know, we were the, the, the family that had the, all the neighborhood kids over because we had a pool. And I, when I hear that, I think things, 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 mm-hmm. things. And your child, while they don't necessarily know how to say it, right. they're saying feelings, feelings, feelings. I'm not feeling loved by you. I'm not feeling heard by you. I'm not feeling seen by you. It's all the feelings and the emotional piece. It's mm-hmm. not the physical stuff, right? And that's what my kids were trying to tell me. And that's what and, I, and I couldn't because I was, you know, I came, like I said, I came from, I had this, you know, almost 15 year career in public and emergency services where I was just this take control kind of person and making sure everybody was safe. And so I would bring all of that home and I had no time to listen to them. I was like, you know, and as a single mom for a lot of those years, I was like, you know, no way I don't have time for this. You got to get up and get breakfast and get, get your lunch packed no, no, and out no, the door. No. And, you know, I got to make sure you get to, up to the bus stop on time or take you to school and pick you up. For, I mean, I, there was, you know, it's time for baths and we got to do homework. <laughs> I mean, I had no time. Saving. And you're exhausted. And I was exhausted. I was working 12 hour shifts. You know, I was exhausted and there was no time to sit and just be able to focus on, Hey, let's connect. Let's just watch this movie tonight together. Right. I mean, I'd sit down. If I sat down for five minutes, I was, you know, <laughs> out like a light because I was just so exhausted. Right. So, I mean, it was just one of those things. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's, the, these crescendo moments that happen in life, there, there are always things that lead up to them. It's a rare occasion. It's a very rare occasion that they happen out of, something happens completely and totally out of the blue. It's just that we're not, into, we're not tuned in mm-hmm. to hear it as it's happening. We're, we're just, we haven't been taught how to tune in emotionally Mm. And your your protector parts were at play as well. Oh, you know, you totally. may have been like, no, I'm not going there. Yep. I have too much to do. I'm not going to raise that up in myself. I got enough well, I mean, my own. Here I, here I had this abandonment wound. Right. And my, so my protector parts were like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to allow, allow you to get close to somebody because then they're going to abandon you. And then you're going to be all, all alone again. And you think so, that happened even with your own children? I absolutely do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I see it happen a lot with parents, especially women who do have an abandonment wound somewhere along the way. Um, mm-hmm. We try, we think that we're trying to not allow that to impede on our connection with our children, but it, it does. I mean, our protector mm-hmm. parts are always we're not always aware of it though we're not it's not in the forefront of our consciousness yeah it's subconscious stuff happening a lot most of the time wow oh boy um we've covered a lot um what brought about the um what um what am I trying to say what caused the healing what work did you do what was the work that you did well we just talked about the therapy and how did you come to that place where you knew you needed to you needed help and I think you just you just really answered that pretty you know one of the the things that um there's been two two really I mean, there's been more events in my life, but two really big events in my life where I've, I've taken 
a really tragic situation in my life. And when I say tragic, I mean, emotionally tragic in my life. And I've done something with that. And people at people tell me that was so brave of you. That was so, for instance, when my 10 year relationship ended, you know, I moved across the country. I, my youngest daughter and I, you know, I sold everything I had except what would fit in the car. And we drove across three, 3,500 miles across the country and started life over again. And you were suffering um, from depression at that time. Oh my gosh. Because you said so... your daughter just said that she just wanted you to stop crying. Yes. Just, yeah. and, and when I asked her about moving, that was what she said. She said, I'll do whatever it takes as just as long as you stop crying. Because I was, I was just so distraught over the end of this relationship that I thought would never end. Um, and we made that trip and people have said to me, oh my gosh, how brave it was for you to up and leave. You know, I had only ever lived in the state of Florida my entire life. I, 40 years at that point in time, I had lived in Florida. All of my family was in Florida. Um, you know, my close family, um, was in Florida and I knew only one person in the state of Washington when we moved and I don't, and I, I, kind of joke when they tell me these things, you know, how brave it was to do that. And I, and I say that, I don't know that it's necessarily bravery as much as I really didn't have, there was like this, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, everything else had fallen apart in my life. And I was like, what the hell? I mean, let's just give this a try because, you know, I, if it falls apart, I guess I can always come back home. But you just didn't want to, you just didn't want to stay in that physical geographical place. Yeah. I that all had to change the relationship. I had lost the job. I was losing the house. I mean, it was just like loss, mm. after loss, loss after loss. And my friend out here in Washington said, you know, you, you've expressed wanting to move out here. Why don't you just move it up? Right. And so I was like, well, I mean, what do I have to lose at this point? You had a I, friend. I yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I made that trip and I, the first five years we were out here, I mean, it was hard. It was so, it was the hard, one of the hardest times of my life, um, being away from family and, and feeling like I had moved to a different country and I mean, just all sorts of different ways of, of life out here. And so that was one, one time, but I took that. And I stayed with it. I stayed with the pain. I mean, there were times when I was on the phone with my mom contemplating, how can I, should I come back? You know, I just don't know that I can do this. Crying, sobbing, you know, so with so much pain, so much emotional pain, but I stayed with it. Mm -hmm. When you say you stayed with it. I stayed with the pain. I didn't, pain. I didn't say okay, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going back home where and I'm you not. didn't go to that place where you would try to hide the pain. Right. No, alcohol, I mean, substance no. abuse, you know, I did yeah. not mask any of it. I allowed it. That's to very out. hard to do. That's very it, hard it to is. do. And at the same time, I had people that looked at me, you know, people I worked with that judged me and people that we're like, my goodness, what is wrong with this woman? She cannot get her shit together. Like, I mean, really, like I had people that just were not super kind and compassionate about things, but I, there was just something within me that said, if you just stay with this, if you, I, again, I didn't know what that would look like, right? I didn't know what, what was going to be on the other end. I had no guarantees. I had zero guarantees that it was going to, to pan out. Same thing with my estrangement. When the estrangement happened, I stayed with the pain. I stayed with it. I, I worked through it in, in therapy. I did not run from it. I didn't mask it. I cried at work. You know, I may have, I mean, I started a new job when in the middle of my estrangement. And, you know, there were times when I had to tell the boss, I'll be right back. And I would go to the bathroom and cry and mm -hmm. wash my face. Mm -hmm. You know, had to come back and engage in life again. But I stayed with it. And by doing that, I was able to come out the other side instead of mm -hmm. getting stuck in it. Mm -hmm. That is where I think that's 
that's where that's what happens with folks, right? Is we get we get in the middle of the pain and we don't know how to find our way out. And I, for me, there's a sense of curiosity that I I tease all the time that my middle name should have been Creed Curiosity <laughs> because I'm just always, why am I doing this? Why is this not working? Why, what can I do differently? How, where is, where is support? I've got to find support. And my support, it wasn't friends and family. They did, they, they were tired of hearing about it. They, they just were like over it. My, my support came in the form of therapy. And that's why what I do with estranged parents now and helping to coach them is just that, is I'm trying to be that help and support when others that you traditionally depended on most of your life can't be there for you in this type of pain. You're helping to facilitate the pain. Right. I can really relate to that, you know, some experiences through my life, especially raising children. Yes. Um, sticking with the pain. Because it's inside a very that, real, palatable. Yes. That pain is like the oyster. There's a, there's a pearl inside of that. Mm. That pearl mm. getting tossed and turned with the sand and the, you know, the water and the waves. And it's just, and it's polishing it and polishing it and polishing it and polishing it. Mm. And when you can stay with it, it generally comes, there's a gift within it. Yeah. But you can't see it when you're in the middle of it. Don't you have to have a, a knowing though in the middle of your pain? Don't you have to have a knowing that that's going to be something that will happen at the end of it or not? I didn't have that. I did not know. No, I'm trying to think back of some of my most painful times and yeah, like you said, you just, you keep walking through it, no matter how dark it gets. You go through the paces of your life with the pain accompanying you, walking with you. Yeah. Yeah, there are spiritual practices, actually. I'm sure you're aware of this. Yes, I am that talking about curiosity about how you um i you know you say feel your feelings but how you become curious about what it is you're feeling right recognizing what you're feeling and asking your feeling questions mm -hmm. and you know if we had only known that sooner right but right fortunately you come out you come through it and then you learn some of these valuable pearls, lessons. Right. This is, I'm always trying to tell people to lean into the pain. I'm not asking you to allow, you know, don't like dive in alone, right? Head first into it because that's not, that's not safe. That's not safe. Um, but when you can be supported or you lean into it, just lean, just think about a, you know, like I have two greyhound dogs and they just kind of lean into my leg, right? Just yeah. that little bit of leaning in. They're not just mowing me over with a, a lean. They're just leaning a little bit so I, I can feel it. I can know that I know that they're there. That's what I ask people to do with their pain because sometimes it can be too much, right? Sometimes it is too much and it can take us under. And that's not, I am not an advocate of that at all. And that's not what I'm no, I'm well, why would you? Be? In any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But I am asking you to lean into it because there is wisdom within your pain. There is wisdom within your pain, and it will reveal itself when you're open to receiving that. And it's probably going to look like something you can't even begin to imagine. And I can see how that would be very hard to understand. Mm -hmm. I can it see is. how people would be like, what, what are you talking about? Why do I want to feel the pain? Yeah. You know? But I'm, and this is it. I'm living proof of this. Yeah. Right. I am not asking somebody to do something I haven't done. Exactly. I, I am not up here preaching something that I, I know nothing about. I've lived this. I have walked this path. I know it can help 
and it may not be for everyone, but those thus far that that do it, it I see it happen time after time after time after time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come home to yourself. And when you can come home to yourself, every relationship you have thereafter is unlike anything you've ever experienced right. before. Yeah. Coming home Unleashing to self. Your- that's very powerful. And that's that's the work that I'm trying to do with yes. my with the audience of women that um, coming home to self. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to experience traumas. It's just you can go through life just busy, busy, busy. You're raising your right. family. You're just doing what you have to do, work, cleaning, whatever it is that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then you come to a point where you're like, who am I anymore? Yes. And that was my experience. Mm-hmm. All those voices of the children, of the husband, of the work, of the, you know, they're all out the door now. Yep. And now I have this quiet place and it's like, I haven't even been in touch with myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, there are how many people, how many women that are just, and, you know, that can be painful. You know, you're just left in this place where I don't even know what my own voice sounds like anymore. I don't even know the questions to ask myself. And then if I do find a question to ask, I don't even know what the answer is. Right. It's a very lonely place. Yeah. Because you can go through a marriage. You can go through raising children, feeling very isolated, very alone, you -hmm. know, and I hear women talking about that. You know, that just because you're surrounded by doing, doing and other people, you can be very alone when you feel as if you don't have a voice, you know, that there is no one to attach to your feelings, you know. And I see a lot of that with estranged moms, right? You know, with especially if all of their children estranged from them. um, I hear they were my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing, the very first thought I have at that point is, where are you? Mm-hmm. Where is your life? Because if you can't know yourself and find your own life, it's going to be really hard to have these healthy relationships over here to come yeah. back. You have to find yourself. You were a human and an individual before you became a parent. You're still one. Let's, let's work to find you first. And, and I think that would be very good for new mothers to learn those lessons as yes. new mothers. Keep cultivating yes. self, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. so that maybe yeah. you don't have to find yourself when you're in your 50s and 60s in, in this uh, wilderness, so to speak. Right where it's like, what the heck is going on? Where did everything go all these years? Me, Mm -hmm. mostly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You had also done um, surrogacy work. I I was blown away. (laughs) Wow. Now, you did that. That was after you left the uh, police work. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested before we get into that of the word banished, you said that you had worked in police work for over 10 years. And then when you left that work, you felt that you had been banished. Mm -hmm. And that word is very powerful. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, why would you feel that way? We all come to the end of our, our work years or whatever. And but to feel banished, was that just a connection to the, the, the child wound or there were just other circumstances? Well, I think that, you know, wanting, you know, from an abandonment wound and, and wanting to be seen, seen and heard and feel included and feel worthy, right? You get that in any sort of um, club, right? Mm-hmm. Any sort of organization where you belong. And there is a brotherhood within police work and that's what it was and in that particular brotherhood when you are no longer in that brotherhood you are no longer 
in that brotherhood. <laughs> you are, if you are not wearing the gun or, you know, mm-hmm. wearing the badge and toting the gun, you are not one of them anymore. Unless you, unless you've worked in that long enough where you've retired and, you know, you've, you are still a part of that brotherhood because you've worked in it so long and now you've retired from it. But if you just up and leave, um, and that was, that was my experience and it was, oh my gosh, it was so jarring to go from knowing everybody had your back. And if you had any questions about anything, any sort of safety, any sort of anything, there was, you knew you had, I I knew as a female, I had all sorts of brothers that would come to my rescue, right? If I needed anything and to go from that. But how sad, is that the expectation that you just don't leave, that that you work at that until you retire? And if there's any reason that you need to leave, they just, they cut off all those ties. That's just how it is. That's the really? culture of police work. Um, really, it really is. Just don't stay um, friends or they don't check up because on. Because there's, there's also a, you know, with police work, there's a, and this is something that's really hard for people to understand unless they've been in the, in the field um, is, and this was, I, I didn't see it when I was in it. It took me about six years, five or six years after I got out to really start to see the damage and the, the um, toxicity of that career. Hmm. And that part of that was there, there's no trust of anyone who's not a brother, hmm. who's not hmm. wearing the uniform. Um, just by the nature of the work that they do, um, there's this inherent distrust of people, hmm. right? Um, because if you go into it, being vulnerable and trusting and you're dealing with people that you can't trust clouds your judgment (laughs) right it 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 does and so therefore they don't do it and so they don't associate with anybody for the most part who's not a fellow police officer um you know they just their kids don't associate with other kids that aren't from police families i mean it it really can be that bad and And then when you're, you know, you, if you are out of it, so when I got out of it and then my partner was a police officer. And so when that relationship ended, well, that was just like a double whammy because then I got it again, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because I was no longer a spouse of, of, you know, part of that family. Um, And my children, my daughter went through that, you know, I tell a story of, she walked into a convenience store one day and I was sitting in the car and could see her. And one of the, the police officers that worked with my partner came in, knew my daughter. I mean, knew me, knew my daughter, knew our car. I mean, the whole nine yards. Um, and when he walked in, my daughter, I saw her look at him and him look at her. And I, I saw her say something to him and he just turned around and walked off. And she went up and paid and got in the car. And I said, oh, I said, did so-and-so say something to you? And she said, no, mom, it was so weird. I said, I turned around and I said, hi, how are you doing? And he just turned around and walked off, never even spoke to me. Wow. So it, yeah. So they're banished is exactly what it was. I mean, yeah. it's like, they just don't, don't come around anymore. Yeah. Kind of thing. No, I understand the word in yeah. that, in yeah. that context. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. So my surrogacies were, you know, I had always wanted to be a surrogate for, well, since when I've had my first daughter and um, was never really in a place that I felt that I was emotionally supported for that until I met my partner. Um, And I remember um, when they came home one day, I had said, you know, I I think this is what I want to do. And the response was, you want to do what? For who? (laughs) Like, like I was just- How old were you at that point? um, I was 30. 30, 31 or so. And so anyway, um, you know, we talked about it and wanted to move forward. And, um, and so, yeah, I, um, I was a surrogate, a gestational surrogate twice. Um, Mm -hmm. I carried and delivered two sets of twins for two different families. Mm -hmm. And, um, then in the middle of my second pregnancy, uh, surrogate pregnancy, I actually worked in, in the field of surrogacy and egg donation. So I was a surrogacy consultant and 
had my own egg donation agency and um, works and did all of that and delivered the second set of twins. And then about a year after that, I got out of it totally because of some ethical things that I Uh, didn't set well with me. Um, And so, but yeah, um, my first set of surrogate twins will be 19 in July. Oh my goodness. So yeah. Yeah. Do you still know them or? I do. Um, they, my first set, I do my second set. Um, I haven't seen or heard anything from them since they were about three and they will be 17 in November. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, the first set I, I, I know them and (laughs) they know who I am and all of that. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty, pretty great. I, I, I can't imagine carrying babies and just you have to be really special to be able to do that because you're going in knowing that you're going to carry these children and you're going to have to hand them away you yeah know? but this is you know that's the that's the first question I always get is but how could you give them up right that's usually the first question I get and my response is always they weren't mine to give up I was a gestational surrogate. I was, I was their babysitter for nine months. Right now I understand, Mm -hmm. obviously Mm -hmm. there was a little more involved with that than just babysitting. (laughs) Um, Trust me. I remember all the shots and all the doctor's appointments and all the, everything I had to go through, but things that you don't even want to talk about. Right. (laughs) right. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, they weren't my children. They were, Mm -hmm. I look at them and have always looked at them as like a, a niece or a nephew um, you know, care about them, love them, but they're not my children. Yeah, it's pretty special you know, kind of thing. We need so, to see our own children that way too. They're not yes. ours to own or possess. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yes. that's a hard lesson to learn. It takes years yes. to learn. How did your daughters feel about that when you were when you were a surrogate? Yeah. So it's it, it's um they They've never expressed to me not, you know, having any sort of issues with it. As a matter of fact, they've always talked about it. Um, you know, my oldest daughter was, oh my gosh, she was a, an early teen, middle teen when um, I had my first set of, of twins. And she, she used to just tell anybody and everybody that, you know, would listen you to You probably me. thought oh, that was the greatest surrogate. thing. Like, right? Oh my gosh, you know, this is not necessarily something I want everyone to know about. Yeah. Um, and then my kid. youngest, um, it was funny. I, re- I would tell the story. I was at, we were at Walmart one day checking out and I was very obviously pregnant. And of course, you know, most people make comments about, you know, the pregnancy and she was, I think she was eight ish, nine, maybe. And the cashier said, oh, are you, are you excited to have a little brother or sister? Right now, my kids knew every, you know, never, I never hid anything from them. And and she says, they're not our babies. They're so (laughs) much those babies. And I thought, well, an eight-year-old, you know. Yeah, she was just so matter of fact about it. And then of course the cashier looks at me like, what on earth? <laughs> and so I explained to her, I, I'm a surrogate mom and these are not our, you know, these are not our, our twins. They're <laughs> yeah, for another family. Yeah. And then she was okay with it, but oh my gosh. So my kids have always done that. And even today, you know, they're, they ask, you know, Hey, have you heard from so-and-so and so-and-so yeah. how are they doing? And well, they, the, the children that, you know, they're 19 now, your daughters must know them as well then. Well, they, they don't. Um, so, much oh, no. so. And, oh. and since, since I've moved out, um, to Washington state, um, I haven't actually seen them in person. Um, I keep up, you know, through their, through their parent and, and things like that, but I don't, um, I so it doesn't become them. like an extended family. Yeah. It's just yeah. personal between, between you and them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You've been through an awful lot, man. <laughs> I know maybe that's one reason I'm so tired <laughs> now I'm like oh my goodness I just are you are you a spiritual person do you I feel am. like that that you know as strange as it might sound that you know there's something biblical about God seeing from the beginning to the end and 
that where you are now was kind of preordained to when you were born. And this is just the journey that yep. you had to come through to do your work in the world. And yes. without that, your work would not have the power that it has. Right. Yeah, I'm very much um, the hero's journey, you know, the dark night of the soul. I think all those all that type of spiritual perspective is mine. Um, I am a firm believer, you know, again, when you're in the middle of it, it's not fun. And you're probably a, a lot less likely to refer to the spiritual piece of things. I know um, you're more likely to be angry at it. Right, <laughs> right. But I, there is a piece of me that is um, just, I, I just know that this is, this is my path and my mm -hmm. path is not always going to be sunshine and roses. It just isn't. And, and it doesn't have to be. No. And nor do you want it to be. No, because we, how do we have the flowers that we have? We have to have rain and sunshine, right? We have to have everything, all parts and pieces of it mm -hmm. to make us whole. And mm -hmm. part of that is the quote unquote negative emotions, right? I, I can't, I don't look at them as negative emotions at all. I think all of them are, are there for a purpose and a reason. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it, it was interesting because when I stayed with my pain and I stayed, I, I got in touch with my anger um, and things like that, it was, it was as if the world opened up for me mm. for joy and happiness to a, a depth and a level I had never known before. Mm -hmm. I was trying to shove away certain emotions, you know, because they were perceived as bad or what have you, or you shouldn't be, you know, sad, you know, you shouldn't be sad and shouldn't be depressed. You shouldn't, 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 shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, when I was able to sit with that and get close to those emotions and make friends with those emotions, mm -hmm. yep. that's when it's, it's almost as if my life became vibrant in color at that point mm -hmm. in time. Mm -hmm. that before mm -hmm. that things were kind of just lackluster you know mm -hmm. they were I could see colors and all that but it wasn't just didn't have the vibrancy that it has today mm -hmm. and I am so grateful I am so grateful for the life that I have today um, and the experiences that I've been through that have been trying and troublesome for me because they have made me into the person that I am today mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I really really like the person I've become mm -hmm. that's wonderful we need to allow all the pieces of ourselves. Yep. And like Otherwise you said, it just, no, you're right. Yep. Well, I think that's a good place to say thank you. And just, again, I loved having you and I'm glad that I, I know more about you and all your many facets you know thank you, Susan. And, i really um, appreciate being being here and being able to spend this time with you thank you okay my pleasure take care of yourself get some much needed oh you're on the road so please yeah. be careful what's the time difference um it's just 5 15 here okay but still you're tired so yeah be careful and uh Get to your destination safely. I will. I'm Thank sure you we'll, so much. We'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Susan. Take, Take care. care. So, okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.